Welcome to the Fast Forward Business Podcast. Today is the 25th of June, 2021, and I am Justin Spencer Young. For about two years now, I have been teaching an online course at Gibbs, Gordon Institute of Business Science, in partnership with Masterstart. And the course that I've been teaching is called Financial Analysis for Investment. We've run several iterations of this course and the feedback that I get from the students is that they learn the details of business valuation thoroughly. And that's the objective that I set out to achieve on the course. I often have students who ask me the same questions in webinars on several occasions. In other words, the questions come up regularly. And I often respond in person on the webinar or I write a note to these questions from time to time. But on the most recent course that I'm running, I was sent an email that asked several different questions around jargon, terminology, what certain things mean in the context of valuing a company. And I thought, well, why not respond in a podcast? which could become a permanent record of answers to these questions to help students in future programs, I could just direct them to the podcast. So hence, that is what I'm doing today. I'm going to run through some of these questions, give some definitions, and hopefully answer these questions very clearly. So the first one is, please explain the relevance of each of the ratios below when valuing a company. The first one is a PE ratio. So this refers to a price to earnings ratio where the P stands for the share price and the E stands for the earnings per share. And by calculating this ratio, what you can effectively determine is as a owner of the company who bought a share at a certain price, you can determine how much earnings you get in relation to the share price. And the PE ratio is traditionally used as a measure of the cheapness or expensiveness, to use really technical terms, of a company, where a low PE ratio might reflect a company that is cheap and a high PE ratio, a company that is expensive. There is quite a lot more nuance to PE ratios that simply reflects the cheapness or expensiveness of the ratio. It also represents the amount of time it would take for one to earn from the business the price that they paid. And that's an interesting perspective on it because a PE ratio actually doesn't have a a unit of measurement. It's simply a ratio, but often we refer to it as years. In fact, is what the unit of measure is. All right, so the next piece to that is the dividend cover. All right, so the dividend cover here is simply measuring the amount of profit after tax that a company makes in relation to the amount of dividend that it pays. So that's profit after tax divided by dividends and it's just measuring how much bigger the profits are in relation to the dividends. The next piece there is to ask, oh sorry, dividend cover in respect of valuation. It's not really something that's used in the context of valuation. So Perhaps what I should discuss here is that rather than looking at dividend cover 
A method that is used that relates to dividends in valuation is to look at something called the dividend discount model, sometimes referred to as the Gordon growth model. So this assumes that a company will have constant growth into the future and the company will exist forever. So like all models, we've got to make some assumptions for them to work. And the way this works is that you can determine what the share price should be or value for the company by saying, well, what's the dividend likely to be next year? And divide this by the cost of equity minus the growth rate. So simple maths here was said, well, if you think the company is going to pay a dividend of 10 Rand a share, so we've got to get a dividend per share here and divide that by the cost of equity. Let's use 18% long term returns of the JSE minus a growth rate. I don't know. Let's use 6%. 18 minus 6 will get you 12%. If you take 10 and divide it by 0.12, you will get 83 and it kind of implying that your share price should be 83. So that's how we would use that. And that's how dividends are used in a valuation model. Very rough and ready way of looking at valuation. Dividend yield is to measure the amount of dividend that is paid on a dividend per share in relation to the share, the share price for which you paid the share. And it's typically measured as a percentage. The higher the dividend yield, then the better the returns that you are getting from that company. Um, so it's not so much a measurement of value as it is a measurement of return that you get from the company. Earnings yield is an interesting one because really all it's doing is it's taking the PE ratio and turning it over into an EP ratio. In other words, you're taking the earnings per share and dividing it by the share price. Sometimes we like to use earnings yield as opposed to PE ratios just because they work the other way around. So simply in a spreadsheet, if I want to rank my spreadsheet from highest to lowest, I want to have the highest earning yield companies at the top of the list, then I'm looking at the companies there that effectively are the lowest PE ratios. So high earnings yield equals low PE ratio. And that kind of makes sense because they are the opposite of each other. All right, next question is what is DPS? And I can only imagine that is dividends per share. And there what we're doing is we're taking the gross dividend that was declared and we're dividing it by the number of issued shares and you get a rand amount for dividends per share. And that's the amount that you must use in the dividend discount model. So they are related there. Okay, next question. What is market capitalization? Market capitalization is effectively the market value of a company. And the way we calculate that is we take a share price, current share price, and multiply it by the number of issued shares that are in the market, and you get the total value of a company. Right, next question. There are different words used by accountants to describe things. Sorry, I'm reading the question here to describe things in the balance sheet and the income statement. I just want to check if these have the same meaning. So the question here is, does headline earnings equal retained earnings? And the answer here is no, they're very different. So retained earnings are effectively the profits that are retained by the business. 
And these retained earnings, you might say, flow from the income statement to the balance sheet. Now, I say that knowing that an accountant will listen to this and say, what the hell are you talking about, Justin? Because these days, things like dividends and retained earnings are found under a changes in equity statement, and they're not actually found in the income statement. But the way I teach it so that students who are grappling with this for the first time understand that once you make a profit, you pay a dividend to a shareholder, assuming you do that, what's kept in the business is retained, it belongs to the shareholder, and therefore must be added to the equity in the balance sheet. So that's what the retained earnings is. It's the cumulative profits that are retained in the business over time. The headline earnings is something else. And in fact, headline earnings, which is headline earnings per share, should be looked at in the same light as earnings per share. So we came across this a little bit earlier, where the earnings per share is the profit after tax that is earned divided by the number of shares. Where headline earnings are different is that the earnings per share might include earnings that are once off. In other words, the business might have sold off a business or sold off some assets and those earnings or profits, if you want, have made their way into the profit after tax number. And actually what we want to do is we want to take out these profits or these earnings that are not part of the core business, but are rather once off. And hence you get this number headline earnings per share. That is when you have adjusted to take out these once off items. All right, next question. Is total capital equal to the long-term liabilities? The answer to that question is no. Total capital is the sum of the amount of equity that funds the business. And your next question is about total equity. So when we say what's the amount of equity that funds the business, typically it's the share capital that has been introduced to the business and the retained earnings, the sum of the two. There was a time when accountants split share capital into share premiums, etc. And I'm not going into that sort of detail. I'm just saying any capital in the business that has been contributed by the shareholder, we're going to call that share capital, and any profits that have been retained in the business over time, we're going to call that equity. And the sum of those two make up the total equity. All right. Now add to that the long-term debt that the company uses as part of its capital structure. We're gonna call that the total capital, equity plus debt. Now, there's a very important qualification here because the accountants look at this differently. Accountants would go look at total capital of any source of money that comes from anywhere that can be used to fund the business. And they may even include in there current liabilities like money owing to suppliers. Now, as far as I'm concerned, money owing to suppliers and money in overdraft and money owing to the taxman is not part of the capital of the business. Yes, they are liabilities, but they are liabilities that are incurred as part of the operations. And I want to be very clear on distinguishing between total capital that represents the capital suburb of the business and the operations, which includes the assets and the working capital, etc. So when we talk total capital in our valuation courses, what we're talking about is the total equity being the share capital plus the retained earnings, total, total equity, plus 
the long-term debt that has a cost to it. I don't want long-term debt in there that has no cost, all right? Because what I'm interested in is my cost of capital. So that's what I use for the capital structure and that's what makes up total capital. All right, so there we go. I've answered those questions in quite a lot of detail, added a little bit of fluff around the side, but I hope that clarifies that series of questions that relate to financial analysis for investment. Thank you for listening. We will see you on the far post.